God, we thank you that it is more than just a song that we sing. It's a declarative from the depth of our soul. In light of all that you are, in light of all that you do, it just seems appropriate to present ourselves to you. God, this is your moment. We are your people. We've gathered together in a place that's dedicated to your name. This is your moment. Do whatever it is that you want to do in us, through us. I pray today, God, for the, for the skeptic that is here. I pray, God, that that those lingering questions, that they'll see those lingering questions fade in, in a sense of who you really are come to the forefront. I pray for the seeker today. They've been looking. They've been searching. Thank you that today you're, you're rewarding that search. But today... Let them find you in your fullness. And I thank you for, for the faithful of God. Let this be a blessing. God, I thank you for those who have come today in spite of great need. Because we have this faith that is founded in the truth that you are a meter of needs. So this morning, you're bringing hope, peace, restoration, healing, confidence, reconciliation, forgiveness, peace. So we give ourselves to you. Thank you, God, for the privilege of this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We have been, for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Why I. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeff talked with you about why I believe. Last Sunday, I talked with you about the importance of belonging, that, that God doesn't just want us to be attenders, but He wants us to be deeply connected in the body of Christ. This morning, I, I want to continue that why I, and I want to talk to you about why I give. Now, here's what I know. I know anytime you use the word give in church, that it, it immediately causes some folks uh, to, to have antennas go up and red flags to go up. Oh, no, here, here's a, another message about money. Here's another challenge where the church is trying to get something from me. I want you to listen very carefully what I said. I want to talk to you about why I give. This morning, it's not about why you should give. I want to talk to you about why I give and, and what that looks like for me. Because why I give is it's, it's not a reflection of, of this issue of of stewardship, so much as it is an, an understanding of, of who God is and, and what His kingdom is. 
I want you to, I want you to imagine for a moment that we're not in Orlando, Florida. We're not sitting in an air-conditioned worship center. I want you to travel with me to a different place and a different time. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in the Middle East in the first century. I want to give you a, a window. And as we look through this window, here's what you'll see. You'll see a first century Hebrew gentleman. He's, he's making his way along. It, he, he's got quite a sizable journey, but it's a, a journey of great importance. And as he's navigating his way through the desert, the sun is beating down. There is sweat on his brow. His sandals are caked with dirt. His tunic is drenched with sweat. His shoulders are stooped over, and he's painstakingly making his way. He'd love to stop, but business is pressing. And so, as he makes his way along, he notices an opportunity to shorten his journey a little bit by, by going through a field. It, there, there's not a, a, a question or a concern about it. In, in his culture, it's customary to offer hospitality, and so this field, especially because it's an, it's an unworked field, there's, there's no reason that the landowner would mind. And so he turns off the path and he's making his way through the field. And as he walks, the ground is unsteady because the ground is unworked. And so he uses his walking stick, his staff. And as he goes along, the staff, it, it, it goes deep into the dried sand, the d- dried soil, just kind of pushes in and pushes in, but he's still, he's making his way. And as he makes his way along, it's thud, 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 thunk. What thunk? That's different. And, and there's something different about the way the ground sounds. And, and he's curious, but he's, but he's in a hurry. And so he says, I've got to keep going there's something about that sound, and and curiosity takes over, and he decides that he'll spend a a moment to investigate. And so he takes his staff, and he he pushes back the dirt and the sand a little bit, and and with not a whole lot of effort, there's, there's something that causes the sunlight to reflect, something metallic. His curiosity grows, and he, he bends down, and he starts pushing more of the dirt and more of the sand back. The more that he pushes the dirt and sand back, the more excited he becomes. He begins to look around to see if there's anybody else noticing what's going on. And and as far as he can see to the horizon all around him, he's all alone. And he is absolutely overwhelmed. It takes him about five minutes to, to, to excavate what ends up being a box, not just a box. It's, it's a box that is layered in gold. And as he opens the box, he recognizes that it's not just the box that is the treasure, but inside it is filled to capacity with, with gold and with jewels. Looking at it, the, 
the coins that are in there, there are coins that were minted over 70 years ago. This, this box has probably been here for a long time. In fact, it's probably a box that nobody even realizes is there. He could just take the box, but he's a man of character. He knows what he has to do. He replaces the box, covers it over, and in excitement, in joy, he forgets about the business that he had, and now he has an entirely new mission. In his joy, he goes, sells everything that he owns to purchase this field and the treasure that lies therein. God, we we thank you for your word. We ask that you would make it a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. Help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. God, we commit these moments to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ten times in Scripture, Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. He says it ten times. Seven times that Jesus says this is in Matthew 13. And he tells these parables that the, the kingdom of heaven is like a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. The kingdom of heaven is like. And right in the middle of this, in Matthew 13, 34, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And, and when one finds it, in his joy, in his joy, I want you to say that with me, in his joy. Come on, say it with me. In his joy. Not sacrifice, not burden, not, oh, I can't believe I have to do this. But in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has. Why? Because he recognizes the value of the field. It's about, it's about a healthy perspective. The kingdom of heaven is like. I think it's unfortunate that, that far too many people, whether we be skeptics, seekers, or Christ followers, that far too many people have a gross misunderstanding of what God is about. We have a gross misunderstanding of God's character, and we allow ourselves to get caught in to a gross misrepresentation of God's plan. It's the reason why far too much of the Christian culture is a culture of doers, and we're convinced that we have holiness because of activity. We're also convinced that we're doing some great things for God. And in fact, we're driven to sacrifice, believing that somehow our sacrifice is going to achieve something greater for us. We're convinced that we're sacrificing here on earth. 
to where our reward will be great in heaven. But let me tell you why I give. I give because of Matthew 13, 34. I, I give of my time because of Matthew 13, 34. I, I give of my, my gifting and ability because of Matthew 13, 34. I, I give of my resource, my finance, because of Matthew 13, 34. And, and my giving is not an expression of sacrifice. Because in all actuality, sacrifice would be inappropriate. What do you mean, Ed? How can, how can you say that? That sacrifice would be inappropriate. There is no need for me to sacrifice. There's no need for you to sacrifice. Because the only sacrifice necessary for the redemption of your sin and the redemption of my sin, the only sacrifice necessary for us to walk in right relationship with God, that sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, was made on a hill called Calvary some 2,000 years ago. The enemy would love to convince you that this connection with God requires sacrifice because he wants to make it seem like it's something that's monumental, for some, even an insurmountable task. And so, as it relates to giving, whether it be the giving of our time, well, we're convinced that to do that would require great sacrifice on our part. To give of our ability, well, that would require great sacrifice on our part. And, and certainly, to give of our money Oh, man, with everything that I've got going on and, and all of the needs and all of the challenges and all of the pressures, to actually give what the Word of God instructs me to give, why, that would be huge sacrifice. To, to, to think about the unthinkable, to actually on a consistent basis to give God starting 10% of my income and then beyond that to participate in offerings, wow, that would be, man, it's a massive sacrifice. See, that's what the enemy would love for you and I to believe. It doesn't line up with the Word of God. Not even close. In fact, if you would look at Scripture, here's what you'll find. That woven throughout the Old Testament, there's principle after principle after principle. There's situation after situation after situation. There's moment after moment after moment where God's people sacrifice. Now, why do they offer sacrifice? They offer sacrifice to God for the redemption of their sin. Correct? That's the only thing that they sacrifice for is because of this issue of sin, the sin that separates them from God. And so what they'll do is they'll offer the, sacrifi the sacrificial animal. They'll offer the sacrificial lamb. This is why the Word of God says over and over again that I would rather have obedience than sacrifice because far too many people look at sacrifice and they go, this is great, I can do whatever I want and then I just have to offer some sacrifice. The New Testament correlation to that is this issue of grace. I can live as I jolly well please and all I have to do is repent. Paul says this, in view of God's mercy, 
In fact, in the New Testament, as it relates to you and I and our connection with God, our activity, what we do, there's only three statements of sacrifice. One is where Paul commends the church at Philippi in, in, in their gift to him. Okay, they sent him some money to help him along, and he commends them for their sacrifice. In Hebrews, we're told that we're supposed to bring a sacrifice of praise. And then in Romans, Paul says this, in light of everything that God has done, in light of his plan of hope, his plan of restoration, his plan of healing, his plan of redemption, in light of everything that God has done, it just seems natural to go, God, everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that I hope to be, I give to you. It it just seems reasonable. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, he says, to present yourself as a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable act or your spiritual act of worship or act of service. But this idea of ongoing sacrifice, this idea that the activity that God desires to you and to engage in, the stewardship principles that he lays out for you in Scripture, that it's a sacrifice for you or a hardship for you, friends, that is a myth that the enemy would love for us to believe. And what it does is this. It makes us begrudgingly give to God. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so, what, what God offers, it just seems natural to give. This week, two individuals who were involved in the founding of, 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 of the tech company Google, on one day, Google's stock went up almost 20%. The two founders of Google, each one of those individuals, in one day made $6 billion. They added $6 billion to their wealth. Okay? Had you known earlier this week, had you known to invest in Google, you would have got in one day a 20% return on your money. Now, I don't know how it works out for you, but that, that's, that's a pretty good return for me. I don't normally land on those sorts of deals. If you had an opportunity to make a 20% return in one day on your money, would you consider that to be a sacrifice? No, you would go, this is an amazing investment. It's not a sacrifice, it's an opportunity. See, the enemy wants you to become convinced that as you engage with God in the giving of your time, in the the giving of your talent, in the giving of your treasury, that somehow it's a sacrificial thing. But here's what the Word of God makes very clear. It's not a sacrifice. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, and when it is found, the person who finds it, in his joy. And so, the fact The fact that God lets me be engaged in his kingdom, I'm overwhelmed by that. I'm blessed by that. That he lets me share his love with my neighbor, how how can I pass up an opportunity like that? That he lets me spend time 
in prayer and worship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Why would I not want that to be a priority? That He lets me use my abilities. I, I don't have a lot of discernible talent. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I wish, I, I watch the worship team, and man, I wish, I, I, I'd love to be a musical. I really would. I'd love to be a musical. I'd love to be able, there are two instruments I'd love to be able to play. I'd love to be able to play the drums. I'd love to be able to play the saxophone. I will tell you that if I attempted either of those today, you would make a quick dash towards the exits. Because it would be a painful, if not frightening, experience. I'd love to be able to do that. I I recognize that I I don't have a a whole lot of of discernible talents. One of the things that that God has given me the ability to do is He's given me the ability to speak. I've known this since I was a child. If you looked at my progress reports, first grade, um, great student, talks too much. Second grade, strong academically, far too social. Fourth grade, I cannot keep your son in his seat. When I was a freshman in high school, our, our school gave grades in academics and in conduct. And, and I've, always, I, I, I've always been able to do well academically. Um, in one particular class, my English composition class, I got an A in academics and an F in conduct. Yeah, F. F, F in conduct. Why? Because I, I enjoy talking. And not just talking. I, I don't like talking to myself. That's kind of weird. But you're not crazy if you talk to yourself. You're only crazy if you answer, by the way. And uh, which means that sometimes for me the jury is out. But The opportunity that God gives me to share who He is, not, not just in this setting, and this setting's pretty safe, but to be able to do that in, in a restaurant, in a, in a store, with my neighbors, sitting next to someone on the plane. A couple of weeks ago, I was flying over to meet our, our team that was in Derry, Northern Ireland. And I flew from, from here to New York, New York to Dublin. And as I got on the plane here in Orlando, I'm sitting in my seat, and, and at the last moment, a guy comes in sits next to me, he's barefoot. Um, He hasn't been barefoot the entire day, or if he has, he's got a foot problem. And and he sits down, and um, he likes food with a lot of spices. And so my eyes are starting to water. I'm not real happy that he's sitting next to me. And then I look over, and he's got a He's got a large, he's got one of those iPhone 6 Pluses, and he's reading something in Arabic. You should never prejudge. I, I, was, pre, I was prejudging at that point. I was prejudiced. 
I engaged in a little bit of conversation with him, and I said, so are you going towards home or away from home? I'm, I'm headed towards home uh, to the Middle East. Oh. Um, so what brings you to the U.S.? I'm going to flight school. Okay, I got a guy with no shoes, <laughs> reading Arabic. He's going to flight school. I thought, I, I've got to talk to this guy about Jesus. I've got to win him to Christ just for my survival. <laughs> Turns out he was very different than me. We had almost nothing in common except this. At soul level, each, both he and I have this God-shaped hole that only Jesus can fill. And though there was an age difference, a culture difference, a values difference, there was this remarkable connection. I, I spent the majority of my trip to Ireland without a Bible because before I got off the plane, I gave him my Bible. I actually... In full disclosure, hold on, in full disclosure, he asked me for a Bible. And I said, man, I've got this one. You, you, can, you can have this one. Okay, where, where do I, I goes, I've never, I've never actually held a Bible before. He goes, this is really, this is wild. He, he's, the, he's the son of, a, of one of the executives for Emirates Airlines. That's why he's going to flight school, because he's got a guaranteed job. He just has to learn how to fly the thing. And, uh, and so... Um, he held the Bible for the very first time. He says, where do I start? And I know a lot of people say start in the book of John. I've got to tell you, I'm a big guy. I said, here's where I want you to start. I want you to start in the book of Romans. And I want you to, here's just a great place to start. This, this, I said, this guy, the Apostle Paul, man, he, he just lays this out really wonderfully. I would imagine that by now, Mahmoud is at Romans 12. Right? Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, in light of all that God has done, I challenge you to present yourself as a, as a living sacrifice. It just seems reasonable. I, I don't always remember that. And so, because I don't always remember that, It's good for me from time to time to be able to recalibrate and make sure I've got the right perspective, right? I, I get so caught up in all that I have going on and, and everything that's happening in my day. Um, I, I start thinking about all of the challenges that I have for my time. I, I start thinking about the limited amount of energy that I have and, and, and everything that's on my schedule and, and the idea of doing something more the idea of adding something, oh, wow. That, when I lose perspective, engaging in, in God's stuff, it starts looking sacrificial to me. In time, in gifting and ability, and, and quite honestly, in my resources, in my money. I have those moments as a, 
as a pastor, I will tell you this. I have those moments where God will speak to me regarding giving, and it's an easy, joyful response. I have those moments when God speaks to me, and I'm like, wow. God, I don't know if I can do this. God, that sure seems like a lot. And, and in those times, in those moments, it's, it's, I think it's important for, for me, and, and no doubt you have those same moments, it's important for you to have perspective. So I want to take just a couple moments this morning, and I, I want to talk to you about a healthy perspective, a, 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 godly, a godly guide to giving. Why don't you take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is, I, I love the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is the greatest leadership book ever written. The, the principles that you'll find in the, in the narrative of Nehemiah, this historical account, are powerful. But I want, I want to focus in on the person of Nehemiah for just a few moments. Because as we see Nehemiah and how he responds to a situation, it, it, it shows us how to live our life with a, a healthy perspective, which hopefully will then rightly position us as it relates to this issue of giving, giving of our time, giving of our talent, giving of our treasury. Nehemiah, he is the cupbearer to the king, to King Artaxerxes. And, and Nehemiah lives in the citadel in Susa, uh, which is uh, over in present-day Iran. He's about 800, 800 to 1,200 miles from Jerusalem, so a long way from Jerusalem. Nehemiah likely has never been to Jerusalem, but some of his some of his relatives come, and he asks them, they says, tell me about Jerusalem. And they, they tell him that Jerusalem is in disgrace, that the walls are broken down, that the gates have burnt, been burned with fire, and that the people are very discouraged. And starting in, 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 Nehemiah, starting in, in Nehemiah 1 verse 4, it says this, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said... O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and obey His commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give 
your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of his man. I was a cupbearer to the king. And, and here's what I, I find. I find that in these few verses, five aspects of, of Nehemiah, his, his posture, um, his, his perceptions, um, his approach, that, that, that help us to, to be in a right frame of reference, a, a right perspective, a right mind. So I want to give those to you quickly. The, the, the first thing that I see is this, is that if I'm going to have a, a godly understanding on this issue of, of giving and, and, and not get caught up and think that giving is a hurdle, that it's some big monumental sacrificial thing, but I'm going to see it from the joy that God wants me to see it. The first thing that I have to recognize is that God is in charge. Notice right out of the gate, he says this. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He is sovereign. God is in charge. What that means, it means that when the Word of God says that no weapon formed against you will prosper, when it says that, it's true. When the Word of God says that He gives us everything that we need for life and godliness, and my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches, you can be confident in that. The reason that so many people struggle, the reason that so many Christians struggle is because far too often we buy into the satanic lie that giving is sacrificial and we're unwilling to make that sacrifice and so the seed that God has given for blessing in our life, we eat the seed. Because we ask God to help us not to govern us. We ask God to bless us not to lead us. God, walk with me rather than me walk with God. And so the first question that I have for you today, ma'am, sir, is this. Who's in charge in your life? If I look at your calendar, if I look at your activity, if I look at what you're doing with your resource, I can tell you who's in charge. Now, oftentimes when, when preachers talk about this, we'll talk about either us being in charge or God being in charge. You know what I find that is true? What I find is true is that more often than not, especially those of us who profess to be Christ followers but are not operating properly when it comes to giving, it's not that God's in charge or we're in charge, it's that we've given that over to someone else. Maybe it's an individual or maybe it's a group. For some of us, our supervisor at work is the Lord of our life. For some of us, our spouse is the Lord of our life. Whether you're a pressured wife or a hempecked husband. 
By the way, sir, if you're an over-possessive husband, if you, you've heard me say this before if you've hung out with us at all, but you're called to be the priest of your home, not the king of your castle. Okay? Jesus is king, not you. And he won't share the throne. So get off of it. Sometimes, sometimes we'll put our parents on the throne, and we live our whole life trying to please mom and dad, trying to impress mom and dad, trying to get the approval of mom and dad, or, or, a, or a matriarch or patriarch in the family. Whether it's you on the throne or, or somebody else on the throne, when, when God is not in charge of your life, not just saying, God, you are Lord, but actually having it be played out in life, when God is not in charge, giving will always seem sacrificial to you rather than opportunity that God's giving you. Why? Because the enemy wants to convince you that what God's asking you is enormous. And, and when, I, when I view it differently, what God asks regarding, regarding stewardship, time, talent, let's talk specifically money for a second, this whole principle of the tithe. When I understand that it all belongs to God and God's only asking me to return 10% to Him, that's not bad. I guarantee you there's nobody in this room that right now that if I were to tell you that I'll hand you $1,000 if you'll give me $100, everyone's going to take that deal. Anyone going to refuse that? And yet that's what, God, this, this thing that God asks, it's, it's powerful. And, and recognize this, and we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. What God entrusts to you to bring increase, God asks you to be good stewards, not for his benefit, not because he needs something. This whole principle of stewardship, God created as a mechanism, as a vehicle to where you would be blessed. He does not need your stuff. And, and listen, the church doesn't need your stuff either. God's going to take care of this church with you or without you. No, listen, this is a, this is a principle that God's put in place for you. And, and it does come down to this thing of, okay, God... I don't want to be in charge of my calendar. I want you to be in charge of my calendar. God, I, I don't want to be in charge of my abilities. I, 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 want, I want you to be Lord of my abilities. God, I don't want to be in charge of my stuff. God, I want, I want you to be in charge of my stuff. Far too many of us, even people who profess to be Christians, we live in these prisons of our own making. Because though we love God, He's not our first love. And, and though we want God in our life, we're uncomfortable with having Him be in charge of our life. We could talk about relationships for a moment. Sir, you know that relationship is inappropriate. You know it. And yet, you continue to walk in that relationship. Because you're unwilling to trust that God knows what He's doing. 
And so as a result, you look at the things that you're engaged in and you think it's great sacrifice. And that's a twisted perception that the enemy wants you to have. Let me, let me tell you how I know this. Here's what Jesus said. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is what? My yoke is what? My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's what Jesus said. My yoke is easy. This thing that connects us with God is easy. The burden that God places on us is light. It's not some monumental thing to follow God. Well, Pastor, you don't live in my world. You don't know what it's like. Let me correct you in that. Everybody here lives in your world, including me. I, I, I face those same societal pressures. I deal with the same temptations. You know what? I, I navigate the same struggles. And that's why it's important for me even to die to my flesh daily. Because I can relate to what Paul said, right? Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Paul said this, the things that I don't want to do, I do. The things that I want to do, I don't do. I'm just, a, I'm just a big bundle of sin. Who can rescue me from this? My faults, my failures, my mistakes. And then he says, but thanks be to God who always leads me into triumph. What, what Paul goes back to over and over again is this whole thing about God being in charge. So God's got to be in charge. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. See, we've got to recognize that God's in charge. And, and then the second thing that we've got to do is we've got to revisit the promises of God. You know, in, in your Bible... There are over 7,000 promises. Over 7,000 promises. And God keeps every one of them. He's, he's faithful to you. He's faithful to you even when you're not faithful to Him. He keeps His promises. When I... When I recognize that God's in charge and, and I, I take a moment and look at his promises, the, the natural response for that is to, uh, is to really, is to, is to return to God and, and honestly share with him where I'm at. In your notes, I put it this way, to responsibly confess our sins. If we're not careful, um, because we live in a world that justifies everything, we can get caught up in playing that same game, right? And, and we can justify. Well, hey, this, this is th there's, 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 there's reasons why this has happened, okay? I, I've, got, I've got a good 
I, I've got good reasons. I've got good excuses. And what we tend to do is we tend to accuse and excuse. Right? Well, I've got reasons for it, and hey, look at what he did. It's good to just come back and go, okay, God, wow, you know what? I, I lost sight of this. And, and come back and, and confess. I, I, I love how Nehemiah puts it, Nehemiah 1.6. He says this, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Right? I confess the sins, we Israelites, including myself and my father's house. I confess the sins that we have committed against you. Nehemiah's never been to Jerusalem. The fact that the walls are broken down, that the gates have been burned with fire, he didn't have anything to do with that. And yet, here's what he recognizes. That he is part of this people. He's part of this nation. And so he he doesn't try to shirk responsibility. He willingly accepts responsibility. You know what I've, what I've learned in my role as a pastor? The church is imperfect. And sometimes it doesn't go well. And because I'm the pastor, oftentimes the, 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 the criticism will be levied towards me and some time ago, I came to this understanding that I can either protect myself or I can protect the church. I can't protect both. And I learned a long time ago that, you know what, I, the church has to come first. And God will take care of me. And so, even though we are taught, even though we grow up in a world that says, you know, if, if, if you've got any kind of excuse, use it. Sometimes it's just a whole lot better just to accept the responsibility. My, the sin in my life is not because the devil made me do it. Yeah, the first time I did it, it might be because of temptation the devil made me do it. But the fact of the matter is this. The stuff that I do over and over again, it's not because the devil keeps tempting me, tempting me to do it. It's because the devil tempted me one time and I liked it enough that I just keep doing it on my own. I don't know how it is for you, Okay. But most of the dumb stuff I do, it's not because of some satanic oppression and, and, the Holy, the, the, and, and the Satan speaking over one shoulder and the Holy Spirit speaking over the other shoulder and Satan winning, you know, talking me into something. Usually it's I just go right into it myself. Right? I'd like to say it's because of peer pressure. It's not. It's because I go, hey, let's do this. There's always someone to blame. But when we do that, it totally skews our perspective. Number four, request God's provision. He goes on and he says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants that delight in revering your name. And he says this, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. say this, in, in, the, in the notes in your bulletin today, I, I gave you seven steps on maintaining a godly perspective, and that's just kind of a, kind of a free bonus. But let me, let me talk for a moment about 
um, realizing the source of, of true strength. Nehemiah had access to King Artaxerxes, who was the most powerful man on the planet. He had the ability to speak and people jump. Nehemiah knew this, that his life was in the hands of the king. One word, not even a word, one gesture on the part of the king, Nehemiah's done. But Nehemiah understood this, and God wants us to understand this. that our life is secondary to our destiny. Let me say that again. That our life is secondary to our destiny. Your employer is not your source of strength. Your financial advisor is not the source of your strength. Your buddy is not the source of your strength. Nehemiah, even though he had this position of influence being the cupbearer to the king, and that afforded him some opportunity, he realized that that was not the true source of his strength. That his source is in God alone. So when, when, we, when we position ourselves and, and, and say, okay, God, you're in charge. God, thank you for giving me a, a right perspective and help me to realize my, man, how I've gotten sidetracked in this. And for seeing you for who you really are. It then allows me to understand that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when it's found in great joy, it makes sense to push aside everything, all of my stuff, to where I can grab hold of that which really matters. For the longest time, when they wanted to catch monkeys in the wild, they did it in a pretty ingenious fashion. And what they would do is they would take those, those glass water jugs, those five-gallon glass jugs. They're made out of plastic now, but for the longest time, they were made out of you know, heavy glass. And they would take those, and they would use those. They would take them out into the wild, and they would put some shiny object down in this glass jug. And the monkey would come along and it would see that shiny object, right? It would reach its hand down in there and it would grab that shiny object. And, and the hand would fit down there with no problem. And just like it fit down there with no problem, it could come out with no problem. Unless it was made into a fist because it's holding onto that shiny object. And they would reach down and they would grab hold of that shiny object and then they would try to, get, they'd try to pull it out and they would try to get away. And they're stuck. 
And, and they would realize they're stuck. They would start to squeal, right? They start to drag this glass, this big glass jug. And they're imprisoned. But they would, for the life of them, they would not let go of the shiny object. It, it's an issue of perspective. Hey, monkey, just watch. You know what I see far too often? I see good people. Some that are skeptics, some that are seekers, some, some that are Christians, but, but living a, a really anemic Christian life. Because they're caught in a prison of their own making. Because this thing that they're holding on to is more important than their freedom, more important than their destiny. So can I ask you this question? What needless burden are you dragging because you have an unrealistic perspective of this issue of giving? Again, I'm not trying to get something from you today. I'm not. I just want you to live in the freedom that God offers. I love what Matthew 13 says, in his joy. We sang this song earlier. It's part of the offertory. It's interesting that that song was part of the offertory. I give myself away. God, in light of all that you are, in light of all that you do, in light of all that you make available to us, man, how can we not trust you for all that we have and all that we are? How, how can we not embrace your principles and say, God, it all belongs to you. And so you tell me how to navigate it, and I'll follow what you tell me on how to navigate it. Because you're in charge, and, and your way is obviously much better than mine. Let's stand together.